Would you open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, if you have your Bible, if you want to follow along on the overhead, please feel free. Like always, it's wonderful to worship the Lord with brothers and sisters in Christ, like-minded people who go through life wanting to please the Lord, and we get together on Sundays, we encourage each other to love and good works and stimulate each other to stay devoted to the Lord in the unfortunate moral wilderness we live in. I want to speak a little bit about this as I started last week, speaking on a new series, a series on sin and temptation. My reasons for this is that as of late, probably within the last three months, you might not be on uh, Christian news, but many a minister has fallen, most unfortunate, into sins. Not just sexual sins, but sexual sin is usually on top of the list. But there are other sins of pride that have gone along with this and have hurt national ministries, big ministries. Uh, men that, congregations of 15,000 people, some two, 3,000 people. Men of renown, men that have been used mightily by God. Good men, good pastors, good husbands, and so on and so forth. But they fell. The inevitable, something happened. They fell into sin. They hurt their relationship with the Lord. I heard their relationship with the congregation. I heard the congregation. And it's because of this, as I've been thinking about this, that it's important for us to bring it to our attention that we have to be careful. We've got to be very careful. And that's what Paul is talking about here in 1 Corinthians. And I want to turn to it now. I started last week. I want to read 1 Corinthians as soon as my technology catches up with my sermon. Okay, we'll see what happens here. It says it's loading. We're moving forward. I don't want the Strong's Concordance. I want the ESV Study Bible. Where is it? ESV. Okay. There we go. All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 1, I will read to verse 13. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. And it was written that the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages have come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord God, that you have not left us alone to fight temptation. Oh, thank you, merciful God. Thank you, Heavenly Father, who cares for his children, 
that won't give us a stone when we ask for bread or a scorpion, Father God, when we ask for a fish to feed our souls, Lord God. You have not left us to ourselves. You will never leave us, nor would you forsake us. And you call us more than conquerors in Christ, Father God. And I thank you, Father God, for this wonderful uh, warning for all of us, for all saints, Father God, to take a look at Israel and to see how they fell because they thought they stood. They thought they stood because they were baptized in Moses and they drank the spiritual rock that followed them and went through the Red Sea and they, they thought they were safe. Little did they know they were not safe, Father. They were saved, but not safe. The Corinthians thought they were safe, but they weren't, Father. Let us be careful for everybody in this congregation, Father God, who thinks they stand, lest we fall in Christ's name. Amen. Now, I spoke about more of an introduction fully last week. If you didn't, weren't here last week, I'd appreciate I'd encourage you to listen to last week's sermon on the website. I will be finishing this week. I didn't get the chance to finish the whole thing, so I'm going to be finishing on verses 12 to 13, the main point of what Paul is talking about. I'll speak about that today, but I just want to bring us a little update from last week. Uh, I'll be going through specific texts that talk about sin and temptation to see the multifaceted dynamic of sin. We think that sin and temptation is, well, uh, here's the uh, tempted to do something wrong, to break a commandment, so on and so forth, and, you know, I just got to stop and I got to fight it, so on and so forth. But we realize when you go through the Bible and it speaks specifically about specific sins and temptations, there's a lot behind all this. There's a forensic look the Bible gives us into sin and temptation. Remember, temptation is not sin. It's not sin. If we entertain it long enough and aren't careful, guess what? If we think we stand, we'll, we'll fall, no matter who we are. And I, and I bring it back to why I'm even speaking on this series is because so many well-known, national, good men, many years in the pastorate, have fallen into something they thought they would never do. These men never thought, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to ruin my relationship with God and my wife. Uh, in this case, they're all men. Uh, with the congregation. And I'm just going to fall into some kind of sin. No one does that. No genuine Christian. The genuine Christian is the last thing a Christian wants to do. It's the last thing I would want to do. It's the last thing these men wanted to do. And they found themselves doing the very thing they don't want to. There's a reason for this. And this is why we'll be speaking about it. No one sermon is going to uh, get us ready. We have to have a thorough understanding of what takes place in our own hearts, how temptation uh, seduces, how Satan seduces, how the culture seduces, how it wears us down over a long period of time, how living a Christian life by ourselves is the worst thing anyone could ever do. To really believe and have faith in Christ as Savior and to muscle it out on our own is, is a recipe for disaster. A recipe for disaster. We'll be looking at the power of sin. The deceitfulness of sin. The pleasures of sin. We're going to look at original sin. We'll look at the wages of sin. The militant stance of sin. That sin wages war against our soul, First Peter says. We'll be looking at the origins of temptations from others. And the origin of temptation from ourselves. So these are the things we'll be speaking about. I did start speaking about this last week, uh, specifically about our text today, to be careful that we stand. Uh, Paul wrote 
to a circumstance in his church. The church was mightily gifted, being used by God. Miracles were taking place. Evangelism was taking place. Uh, uh, church growth was taking place. Everything we would want to see was taking place. But there was a sense of arrogance within the leadership and the members of the church. They thought they were beyond certain things. And so what they did, most of them came out of a pagan background, and, and Corinth at the time was filled with pagan temples. You couldn't go, it's like going down 3rd Avenue, you're going to find a bar and bump into one wherever you go. And so was it within Corinth, you would bump into a temple that sacrificed that day or that night, and you can buy meat, but there was things associated with this. There were, there were parties, there was festivals associated with these feasts. Uh, that end up turning into debauchery and uh, licentiousness and hedonism, basically what it turned out to be, sexual hedonism. And a lot of these, if not most of them, were converted out of this background. They were converted out of this lifestyle. Paul came and preached, and, and God did a, a great work, and many of these people got saved out of that background. But guess what they didn't do, at least most of them? They thought because they were now baptized in Christ like Israel was baptized into Moses. Because they were water baptized that these, these, these ceremonies we do as Christians had some kind of supernatural effect over them and that they can just go back into playland and not get what? Contaminated. They really thought they were above falling back into the lifestyle they were saved from. And that's why Paul gives the admonishment, be careful that you stand lest you fall. As I said, those men that fell into temptation, you can rest assured that temptation did just not come knocking on the door one day, that something was going on, and over a long, prolonged period of time, I should say, uh, they caved under pressure. Now, that is in a sexual sense, but Paul, as I spoke about last week, I actually go listen to it, Paul mentions four types of sin. The first one was idolatry. That's the actual worship of, uh, of demons. It was pagan worship. The ceremony that went with it. Sensuality, sexuality, immorality all went with that. By the end of the night, they were a mess. But he talks about two other sins that we really don't think are too bad. He talks about complaining... No one I know in this room complains. And grumbling. There's no grumblers in here either. I know that. I know that. We're all sexually pure, praise God. We're all like virgins over here. God's washed us clean. And the truth of the matter is that's easy to stay away from. As much as I don't want to, uh, of course, that, that's like, there has to be a lot of stuff that steps in between me and falling into some kind of uh, fornication. The first line of defense, I shared this last week and I shared it many times, is my wife. I know that Satan wants me to fall. I love my wife that much more. I love the congregation that much more. I share openly. I'm unashamed to say I want your prayers. I want my wife's prayers. Honesty and transparency is the way to purity. That's how you stay pure. Honesty, transparency, you want purity? It's all yours. But let's get to the grumbling and the complaining. I just want to highlight this again. 
You see, the difference between the two, complaining, they were complaining about what they did not have, Israel. And they started complaining against God. God brings some judgment against them to discipline them, to show them this is not the way it is here. Grumbling is different. Complaining is complaining about what you don't have. Grumbling is complaining about what God has given you, but it's not enough. Big difference here. Uh, nobody here, right? We do it all the time. Let's get real. Let's get real now. Let's get real. Sometimes enough is never enough. And what we have is, is not good enough. And we don't even realize we have an attitude towards God. So let's just be careful of these things because these lesser things could eventually lead up to what? More significant things, and this is why. It wears us down from the inside out. It makes us vulnerable. Complaining, murmuring, grumbling is not the strength of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is our strength. For me to stay pure, for you to stay pure, for me not to fall into sins and temptations, for me to stay above the desires of the flesh, I have to be happy in Jesus. Miserable Christians, you're going to have a hard time. You're going to be white-knuckling it all the time. It's going to be temptations everywhere. That's all you're going to see. But when you satisfy your soul in Jesus Christ, you can do all things. Through Christ who strengthens us. I want to get into verse 12 and 13 tonight. And that's just a little background from last week's sermon. But I want to take a good look at verses 12 and 13. I spoke about everything else last week. And and I had to cut the sermon short when I got here. Even though I'm in verse 12, 12, I'm going to read verse 1. Paul says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, The whole section of this text starts off with Paul's such a pastoral concern that he does not want them to be unaware. And the thing he does not want them to be unaware of is something that happened 1,500 years earlier in the wilderness under the ministry of Moses when the Israelites came through the Exodus. Paul is meeting a contemporary situation with a 1,500-year-old text. And we spoke about this last week, how many people think, well, the Bible's not relevant. They should have told that to Jesus when he quoted the Old Testament constantly in his ministry. They should have told that to the Apostle Paul when Corinth was a mess and he didn't go to some kind of pop psychology to maybe some kind of, you know, three ways to be a better man. Or a better woman, he goes, no, go, let's go into the Old Testament text that, that is an example for us. So you're not unaware of what can happen to you when you think you stand. The Old Testament says when you think you stand, you better be careful, you might fall. Because when you're encouraging Christians, you don't go to read his digest. You go to the Bible. When you want to encourage a Christian to be careful, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. I don't go to the science. I don't quote science. I don't quote pop psychology uh, or sociology. Though these are all good disciplines in themselves, and we should be aware of them, and we are. But ultimately, the text we go to is the Bible. The Bible speaks relevantly to every situation you will face in your life. The Bible and the Bible alone 
directs us to every temptation that Paul says is common to man. No one can quote, if Brian, if you only knew what I was going through. I said, well, maybe I don't, but the Bible does. So let's talk about it. And I know there's a text, if not numerous texts, that will deal with your specific situation. There's not a unique temptation, Paul is saying here, that is overtaking you that's not common to man. What he is saying, Corinthians, Bay Ridgeites, first century, 21st century, whatever you're going through today, Israel went through it 3,500 years ago. And this is why. The human heart has not changed. Technology has changed. Great advancements in civilization. But the heart remains wicked. Self-serving, self-gratifying, independent, even as a believer, water baptized, in Christ, given the gift of the Holy Spirit, we need to be careful at all times. Paul is saying to them, listen, Corinth, Israel, like you, was saved, but they were not safe. Can we say amen? amen. The moment I feel safe from temptation and safe from sin is the moment I'm going to get in trouble. But Paul doesn't want us to be paranoid. Whoa, God, I can't get out of the bed. I can't go out and I'm going to fall into sin. It's not about being paranoid. I'm liberated in Christ. Emancipated from the power of sin. It's Christ who liveth in me now. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm not under law that stimulates sin. I'm under grace that stimulates power. The power of gratitude to the Lord. I want to live and please God. Amen? That's the Christian life. But it's not always easy. If Paul was living today, he might talk about something that happened in 1912. And he would have said that a captain, a commander of a ship named Edward Smith, who took the RMS Titanic on April 10th, 1912, thinking it was the ship that would never, ever do what? Four days later it did. And it sunk because of operational and regulatory failures. They were trying to beat a deadline. A man proposed deadline. They wanted to make a new time in crossing the Atlantic. Operational failure. Regulatory failure. They had enough lifeboats for only half of the passengers. Almost 2,500 people. Only 705 survived. The rest perished on the unsinkable boat. The man was no novice of a commander. He was an experienced naval commander. But yet, because he thought the ship had 16 airtight compartments built like no other ship on the ocean, he thought we can do this. There's nothing we can't do now. And the unthinkable happened. In the midst of trying to get from one side of the Atlantic to the other, for a new record, at the last moment when they saw that iceberg sticking out of the water, innocent, it was over. Spiritually, you and I are like the Titanic. 
trying to get from one side of the Atlantic of eternity to the other side in a way that pleases the Lord. Your life and my life together is like the day we got saved. I want, I want to go home and be with the Lord and I want to do it as safely as I can. I want no disasters. 25 years, I don't want a disaster. You don't want a disaster. You don't want to hear, did you hear what happened? You don't want to make the news. You want to fly under the radar. You want to live the Christian life. You want to love the Lord. You want to be devoted to the Lord. You want to love people. You want to share the good news. You want to enjoy Christ. You want to enjoy holiness. And then one day wake up and say, praise God. I don't want to leave a trail of destruction behind me. Sin, no matter how bad it is, God forgives it to those who repent. But consequences, it's painful. Very painful. Pride goes before the fall. Edward Smith, in his pride, thinking he was going to set a new record going across the Atlantic, broke regulatory and operational procedures, and he failed. And over 1,700 people perished in the imperishable boat. So please, this is serious. Sin is serious. It destroys families, congregations, marriages. The world we live in is a mess because of it. And people just try to write new legislation and new, and, 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 and new laws and define everything differently. And they don't realize that the family unit is torn apart. So please, let's take sin serious. I want to speak about verse 12 and verse 13 because 12 is an, uh, an admonition to be careful. Therefore, if anyone thinks that he stands, take heed, listen to Israel, follow Israel's lead, lest you fall. They too were strong in God. They too had God with them. They too had the presence of God as, as the cloud at night and the fire at day. But even there, they still grumbled. Even though in the miracle work and power, they still complained to God. Even though they were saved, they were not safe. They did not rely on God. They relied on themselves. They and we could easily fall into these sins as others have before us. If we think we're above them or they don't really matter, we're in trouble. Ignorance is not bliss to the sinful nature or the temptations of the world or Satan. To overestimate our strength, to overestimate my convictions, I would never... In Christianity, please never hear these words come out of your mouth. I would never. Don't ever, as soon as you say that, please, I, I pray you hear my voice. I pray 30 years from now, if that was ever coming out of your mouth, you say, no, I remember that sermon. Never to overestimate our strength, our faith, our convictions, our loyalty, our love for Christ, or ever underestimate the power of sin. Never underestimate. Don't over underestimate the power of temptation to eventually weigh the best men down. These men that have fallen. I've read their books. I listen to their sermons. I follow their ministries. Spot on preaching. But yet they fell into the very thing they condemned many a time. Don't underestimate temptation. The seduction, I'll be speaking about this in the weeks to come. The seduction of temptation. 
but we'll talk about how to overcome the seduction of temptation. Not today, though. And the law of the culture. Paul is addressing Corinth because of the culture. Be careful, he's saying, about these temples. It's not all innocent what God saved you from. Don't go backwards. Be extremely careful. The things God has saved and forgiven you from in the past, don't think you're above it. You could easily fall back into it. We'll be speaking about that too. Pride does go before the fall, and the only defense is a real, honest assessment of ourselves, our own personal weaknesses, to be transparent with another believer, to be honest about our evaluation, so that we can stay pure. Transparency is paramount. We have to be transparent. For a Christian not to tell another Christian or share with a pastor or so on and so forth, I got something in my life, and these are the weaknesses in my life which keep me in prayer. We're going to do a word study on verse 12. Therefore, if anyone thinks he stands, take heed. Heed means to see in the Greek, or more, more uh, accurately, to be able to see. And of course, the, the metaphor is to watch uh, morally. It's a moral perception. But it's more than that. It's to watch out, to be deliberate in looking for moral failure, moral temp- temptation, and to think it through, to understand your own propensity to fail. The psalmist talks about that in 139. Search my heart, O God, for any unclean thing. A Christian man, a Christian woman should be able to say, you know something, these are the things I have to watch for in my life. Might be greed, might be lust, might be pride, might be ego, might be vanity. Uh, Could be a host of other ills, jealousy. Uh, That'll take down many a people. Covetousness. These are the things we have to know about our own nature if we're going to combat them properly. Because they'll sit dormant for many a decade until the right place, right time, perfect storm, ruined. Ruined. Those ministers I'm talking about, ruined. Paul actually talks about this in the previous chapter, in the ninth verse, when he talks about his own personal life. He says, I beat my body and I make it a slave. So after I've preached to others, I myself would not be disqualified. So I myself don't fall, and God doesn't use me as an instrument anymore. I'm not scared about losing my salvation, but I want to share the gospel. I want to share the gospel effectively. I want, I want, I want to share how wonderful and how great Jesus is to both Jew and Gentile. And, and if I fall into sin, if I'm not careful, if I think I stand and I fall, I'll be disqualified. My, I'll have no moral authority anymore. How can I speak about Christ and salvation and sanctification and justice? and the holiness of God when I've lost the moral high ground. Parents need to know this. A parent raising a child needs to know I I can't lose the moral high ground. I have to raise a young daughter in the house. A 12-year-old daughter should learn from her father what morality is like. Not dad, mom, you take care of it. Husbands and wives cannot lose the moral high ground. Cannot. In this world, you might as well take your children and sacrifice them to the culture. If you lose the moral high ground, don't do it. Grandparents, don't lose the moral high ground. 
You want to have that ability to say, son and daughter, let me tell you about the world we live in. And you got to be able to say it with such a deep conviction. You can't say, well, do what I don't do. Or don't be like me. That's nice, but it doesn't cut the mustard. Paul didn't say, you know, imitate Christ. Don't imitate me. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a loser. But imitate Christ. He doesn't say that. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Don't lose the moral high ground. we got to watch. we got to watch out. We have to understand and to think through. And it also means in the Greek, to cause to happen. We cause morality to happen. It's either by default immorality comes in. If we don't take the moral high ground, if I'm not thinking through the issues, if I'm not watching out over my own weaknesses, if I'm not careful of the cultural climate around me, if I'm not careful by default, I'll fall. But if I'm watching, I'm thinking, and I'm causing the good future to happen, I can rest assured with God's grace. I won't fall. Take heed. Means to take and evaluate with, not just discretion, with accurate interpretation of our own life and the world we live in. If you can't drink, put it down. Don't tempt it. If you can't be around the opposite sex, flee for your life. Be careful the places we put ourselves in. I spoke more about that last week. And in this way, we can cause good things to happen. Otherwise, bad things will happen. As that proverb says, if I don't plan to succeed, I've already planned to fail. We have to plan to succeed. He goes on to say, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, but God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Paul ends this section with the gospel. This is the good news. What he's saying to Corinth, listen, don't get paranoid over here. The good news is that Jesus wins. Chill out. Don't think you're going to lose and fail to every temptation that overtakes you. It's not uncommon to man. God is faithful. That's the gospel. God is faithful. He's not saying, listen, do the best you can. Pull yourselves up by your bootstraps. Go to church twice a day. Pray ten times a day. Fast all day until you starve yourself to death. He's not saying that. He's not saying try harder. He's saying believe bigger. Believe bigger. The answer is not by trying. The answer is believing in the faithfulness of God. Not myself. I'm a failure. I got a resume that says failure. Moral failure. But I got a Bible that says that God is faithful to his children. God is there in every tempting circumstance. He's there. And one of the ways he's there is what me and you are doing right now. Do you know what Paul did in this chapter? The whole chapter, go home and read it. It was an expository sermon on an Old Testament text. Specifically the book of Numbers and Exodus. Paul thoroughly went through two books of the Old Testament to bring encouragement. We call that expository preaching. 
One of the ways God is faithful to his church is by hearing his word week in and week out. Daily in our own personal uh, studies. Uh, listening to good sermons. Reading good books. That's how God is faithful. God is not waiting for me to put myself in the bar with a drink in my hand and a woman in my arm. Just about to make out. Drink. And then God's going to come and just pull me out. That's not what the Bible is talking about. God is going to inform my mind morally on what's pleasing to him and how I should live. That's how God is faithful. That's one of the ways God is faithful. Through examples of Israel and others, through an example of these ministers that fall, do you think God is ashamed of his ministers that fall? That's an example to me. That I need to be careful lest I fall. God takes the bitterness of one child and makes it a strength for another child. It's God's prerogative to do such a thing. God can take something that was hidden in the back of a car at Comfort Inn on Highway 66, bring it to the light so the church can go, oh my God, I've got to be careful. Our life is not our own. We would like God to say, forgive me, just make sure my dirty business doesn't make it to the front page. He also gives us a new inner moral will to live for him. Something is produced by the Holy Spirit in us. When we're regenerated, when we're born again, when we're generally converted in Christ, something happens. There is a new desire to live for the Lord. Something is an, imp, uh, an impetus within us to live for him that wasn't there prior to conversion. That's the, the major defining characteristic of a genuine converted sinner, someone who's a genuine Christian. It's not about going to church. There's a new desire to live for God. And that's how we know. It's also nurtured by good Christian fellowship. God's faithfulness is not just expository understanding of the scriptures. It's not just the ministry of the Holy Spirit within us, giving us new desires to live for Him. It's a new desire to, to be with each other and to encourage each other. This is encouraging to me. I can't easily leave this room tonight and just go tie one on. I can't easily leave this room and, and, and tell, oh, Terry, chill out. I want, I want to go out to the bar tonight. I'm gonna, I want to go do something I used to do. Year in and year out, decade in and decade out, of serving the Lord and serving and loving His people has residual effects to living holy. I don't want to fall. There's strength in numbers. There's power in encouragement. <clears throat> Paul goes on to say, there's no temptation that's not common to man. As I said before, therefore God has made every, every, every temptation a man's going to go through in the Christian faith, it's in the scriptures. It's there. Somewhere there's an example in scripture that encourages us, that helps us, that guides us, gives us purpose in our life. There's nothing uncommon. We can't say, God, you can't handle this. No, God says, no. Go to Numbers chapter 33, read the first six verses. I handled this once before in the whole nation's life. I can handle it in your life too. You stick around. I'll show you what I can do for you. And if you fail, go to Psalm 51 and read David's life and I'll tell you what I'll do for you too.
He goes, the reason why no temptation can take us down is because this is it. This is the Bible. Jesus is faithful. God is faithful. He's faithful to us. This is the greatest, of all God's attributes, faithfulness to us is the greatest attribute because that's what we need the most. We need God to stay faithful when we want. When we're not faithful. When we're struggling. And I feel the, the, the seduction of the world and, and old habits calling me backwards. I got to remember God is faithful. That it's not about how I'm feeling. Temptation is not someone trying just to seduce me into sin or the culture seduce me into sin or my own desire seduce me into sin. Temptation is this. I want to sin. That's what temptation is. Temptation is part of, I want the thing I don't know I shouldn't do. That's temptation. Has anybody ever felt that? You better say yes. Give me two hands. Of course, that's what temptation is. It's not like, yes, oh, Satan's tempting me to eat what the dog just did on the street. No, that's not temptation. I want nothing to do with what the dog just did on the street. But he knows how to tickle my ears. He knows what's truly tempting to me, even though I know it's wrong. If I entertain the thought long enough, it could get bad. But I have to know God is faithful. The fidelity and faithfulness of God is stronger than the temptation to sin. Amen? Amen. To a non-believer, that's like, you might as well talk about Peter Pan. But to a true convert, that's like saying, you mean my heavenly father loves me that much? What we have over here is, is a father-child language. This is not God and, and terrible sinner. This is not God. This is not the creator and the creature. This is father-child relationship. That's what it is. Your father will protect you. It's a father's job to protect the child. It's God's job to protect us. And he is through his word through fellowship, through the Holy Spirit, through encouragement. He protects us. Through the life of the church, he protects us. He goes on to say, beyond your ability. He won't allow us to be tempted beyond our ability. How about he won't let us be tempted at all? That would be nice, wouldn't it? You know, why, why do you have to go to the ability part? Why don't you just leave it and won't be tempted at all? What, what is this? You know, why, why the test? You know that temptation really, in the New Testament, it's one word. It means test. Why do I got to go through to test God? Because he says, because you won't know how faithful I am as a father unless you go through the test of temptation. That's what he's saying. You got to go through the test. You got to do it through the temptation. Paul can say God is faithful, not because he, he read it in the Old Testament. He was faithful to Paul. I can sit here under the authority of Scripture and tell you God is faithful, and I can sit here under the authority of what God has did in my life and say God is faithful. He's faithful to the Scripture. He's faithful to his own faithfulness. He's faithful to his own promises. If he, his, his promises are yea and amen to those who believe. He's not a man that he would lie. Where our strength ends, God begins. And I don't want you to miss this point. This is a learning curve in overcoming temptation. A new Christian doesn't know how to rely on God. 
A young, a young convert doesn't know how to rely on God's faithfulness. You've got to cut your teeth on failures. I think there's few Christians that will stand up and say, you know something? I'm a Christian for 30 years and I've never failed. I don't think you're ever going to hear that. I want to do most of my failures in the beginning of my Christian walk. But that's where I learned God is faithful. Not just to forgive, but to empower us to live the Christian life. Beyond our ability, where our strength ends, God's beginning. This is a learning curve. Believers have to go through this. We're, we're going to try to go into the Corinth around us. We're going to try to go into those old haunts we used to hang out with and the old people we used to hang out. We're going to try to do life the way we used to, but in a safer way because now I'm a Christian. I feel safe, so I'm going to do the same thing, but I'm going to be extremely careful. No. I can give you a list of people that used to be here, but they're not here no more because they did that. And they're back in pagan temples again, metaphorically. They're doing what they used to do. We really have to learn the hard way what our natural moral limitations are. You have to learn the hard way. doesn't mean everybody has to fall into some kind of lurid sin. But we cut our teeth early in Christian life that, wow, morally I'm, I'm weak. But he's faithful and he's strong. It's a painful, painful operation. Thank goodness God's patient when he's saying that. Thank goodness he's patient. Very patient. As a matter of fact, it's divine patience. I can't even give you an earthly definition of patience for God. There's a limit on our patience. Not on God. And he goes on to say, he'll provide a means of escape. I mean, not caving into. Not caving into the, the pressure to escape it, to endure it. Not to cave into the pressure of the temptation. And like I shared earlier, it's not going to be sitting there with a drink in one hand and a woman in the other hand and saying that God's going to come and miraculously rescue me. That the elders are going to come breaking through to comfort in and say, oh, pastor, don't do this. We've been watching you. It doesn't mean that. What God is saying that we've been able to escape the stressful circumstances of temptation. To be able to stand there and say, no, that's not who I am. I'm not that anymore. No matter how stressful the temptation is and the pressure that comes along with, God is faithful and he will provide a means of escape, not externally, but internally. Internally. God can't come to our, he will come to our rescue externally sometimes and do some miraculous things to save us out of temptation. But he doesn't do that all the time. He wants to strengthen you on the inside that you know you're more than a conqueror. That you know you didn't receive the spirit of timidity, but a power, love, and a sound mind. That the fruit of the spirit is love, a sound mind, joy, uh, holiness, humility, gentleness, kindness. Against this there is no law. Temptation can't come against a man that genuinely loves God. It will fall and fail all the time. God wants us to know what it means to escape, not externally, but his faithfulness to make us strong on the inside. As James chapter 1 says, that counted pure joy when you go through trials or testings or temptations of various kinds, knowing that God wants to make you complete. 
That means strong on the inside. Usable. This is Christian growth. Let me give an example, and I'll close. I remember when I first started taking martial arts. Always wanted to be a martial artist. I wanted to be a black belt. Chop everybody up to pieces. And I joined one day. I had my gi on and I'm watching everybody karate chop each other. And I was, invited, I was a white belt. And I was invited to a black belt test. It's where a brown belt with a black stripe becomes a black belt. I sat there and said, what in the world did I get into? I could never in my life conceive of even thinking I could do that. They got a beaten. Because I had a white belt that could have never took a black belt test. But there's a learning curve. You go from white to blue, and then you stand the stresses of blue when you go to purple or yellow, depending on what style you're taking, who the teacher is, so on and so forth. Until one day you're knocking out a black belt's door and you say, you know something, as hard as it is, I believe I can do it now. That's what Christianity is. There are things in your life now you might be looking at as a young convert saying, I could never. Well, what's this guy talking about? Overcoming this and overcoming that? He's got to be out of his mind. But understand something. God is faithful. And God will take you through the learning curve of maturity in Christ. A young believer, no one a young believer knows about temptation? The next day when it's over. And they wake up and say, oh my God, I did it again. That's a young convert. A mature convert, someone who's growing, is like, I should not be doing everything I'm doing right now. They don't wait till the next day. They know then. They're in trouble. A more mature believer sees it coming from a mile away, takes heed, knows he has to be careful that he stands lest he fall. Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you, Father God, that you teach us there's no temptation that's common to man that hasn't been known to you already, God, and that you remain faithful. You were faithful to Israel. You were faithful to the apostles. You are faithful to Corinth. You were faithful to your son by raising him from the dead. You are faithful to us today, Father God, that we know we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, Father God. And I thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit and the sanctifying truth of the word of God, Lord God, that we do not have to live the way we used to live. Once you have forgiven us, Father God, you give us of your Holy Spirit that the truth that Scripture reveals becomes our bread of life. So, Father God, encourage all of us, especially in this time and season, this moral wilderness we live in, Father God. I pray that every man and woman in this room take it serious to be careful never to walk in complacency as though these things could never happen to me in Christ's name.